All right, if not, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 44. The last chapter, or I'm sorry, the last verse in Isaiah 44, and then we'll go into chapter 45, a couple verses. Glad we can come together in the middle of the week. I don't know some, I don't know the week that you've had, but, uh, uh, yesterday wasn't I mean or yesterday was pretty crazy it was one of those times I'm getting a whole lot of work done and then I feel like the brakes just got slammed on and uh, one problem after another but uh, uh, I'm glad that God I, I I'm just glad that God knows how to take care of us he knows how to uh, you know he knows in his word what to give us for what we need and I, I'm just glad we serve a faithful God you know I've been thinking about uh, his faithfulness ever since that tent revival. Uh, they sung a handful of songs that mention the faithfulness of God, and it hasn't got out of my head uh, just how faithful he is to us. And that's a blessing, you know, with an uncertain time that we live in. I'm glad that God, uh, he knows tomorrow, and his promises are good for the uh, how bad it was yesterday. They're good for how bad it is today and how bad it will get. And I'm thankful for that, uh, that he's still in control. But we're going to read uh, Isaiah 44, start at verse 28. It says, That saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. The, and then into chapter 45, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron, and I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake, in Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach. Lord, help us to hear what you have for us tonight. Lord, help the, your word to come alive. Uh, and Lord, help us to understand and to apply it to our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all things. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Cyrus is mentioned here. He is the king. Of, this is a prophecy about he's going to be the king of Persia. And he's a special person in the Bible. Because you think about, uh, uh, yes, there are people that are prophesied in the Bible. But uh, usually it's Jewish people. Usually it's the Messiah. It's something like John the Baptist or someone like that. But this is a, a Gentile man that's going to be king uh, that had a unique calling from God at the time. 
time that Isaiah got this prophecy, uh, the Babylonians were in power, uh, you know, and uh, or, or what it's talking about is the time when the Babylonians were in power. Uh, and you remember they thought everything was good, everything was safe. Uh, God allowed uh, the Babylonians to take the Israelites captive uh, and to take them to Babylon uh, uh, with several groups that they brought, uh, including Daniel. Uh, he was in the early group. Uh, and Cyrus, what he did uh, during that time when he had surrounded Babylon is he started digging him and his men and they diverted uh, the, the Tigris River that flowed underneath the walls of Babylon. So they diverted the river so that way when it uh, when the water stopped flowing they could go march right under the wall uh, without any trouble uh, and that story is the story of Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 tells us what was going on on the inside when that happened. Remember uh, Belshazzar is having a feast with all of his princes and everyone else they're holding a party and remember what he does he calls for the golden vessels that were in the temple that they had taken uh, and the Lord's house and as soon as he calls it so they can drink to the gods of wood and stone and all of those things and remember what happens the handwriting starts on the wall that's Daniel chapter 5 that's what's happening on the inside in Babylon uh, while Cyrus is on the outside getting ready to take it over so remember when God tells uh, through Daniel tells King Belshazzar, this night your kingdom's going to fall. It was Cyrus that would make it fall. So this is a prophecy of that time. Uh, and if a verse right before the one we read, if you look at verse 27 in chapter 44, look at it. Thus, uh, uh, that saith to the deep, be dry and I will dry up thy rivers. Remember, I just told you how he did it. And look what God said. Here's what is he going to do? He's going to dry it up. They're going to march right under, uh, and it's actually going to be easy for them. Uh, but this took place, uh, all of this, the exile and everything else, uh, all of this was being prophesied before the Babylonians took them captive and before the temple was destroyed, uh, cause the Babylonians would do that before all of that happened. That's when Isaiah gets this prophecy. So they're not even in captivity yet. They're not even being ruled by the Babylonians yet. The temple's still standing, and God is saying, Hey, I've got a man that will come deliver you and let you rebuild. That's our God right there, right? He, he has a solution before we know we have a problem. That, I mean, the biggest example of that's Jesus Christ. Before, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we knew we had a problem, before we were even here, uh, he took care of the problem. That's how our God works. So he names Cyrus there at the uh, 4428 and then chapter 45 verse 1. He's named in there. Uh, so Isaiah says this is the one that's going to free you. He's going to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. Uh, again, this is ahead of time. And he's going to say you'll be in captivity. I'm going to send Cyrus. He's going to defeat the nations that are around you and subduing you. And then I'm going to let him lead. And he's going to get you to rebuild everything. Uh, and I like the promise right here uh, in verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden. And you think about what a blessing, right? Isn't that a, he, he uh, the Lord had a special job for him. 
uh, was going to put him in power for that specific reason. Uh, and he said, I'm going to hold up your right hand. And I'm here to tell you, the only reason you and I are here today is because the Lord's been holding us up, right? He has held us up. He has uh, allowed us to continue. He has uh, defeated enemies for us. He has gotten us through trials that we couldn't have done ourselves. But I'm glad uh, that here's the thing. The Lord is promising to him that I will be your source of power. Man, if we would just remember that, right? That the Lord, he is our power source. And this is what the Lord is promising to Cyrus. Then look, one of the things I really notice is that verse 28 of chapter 44. Thus saith, uh, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Look what it says. And shall perform all my pleasure. Right? Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Uh, he's saying, the Lord is saying of the prophecy ahead of time that Cyrus, when he comes, is going to do the Lord's will. Now, just in case you didn't know this, we've got Free Will Baptist on the sign. That's who we belong to, uh, I, which I've told people for now, if they ever decide to change, uh, I'll, we'll take it off, right? We'll take that right off the sign. But as long as they're, uh, you know, sticking with the Bible as close as possible, uh, we'll stick with them. But uh, uh, one of the things that makes Free Will Baptist different from other Baptists uh, is that we, uh, it's in the name, we believe that men have free will to make choices, right? We, there are a lot of groups uh, that would say that we really don't have any real choices. We're, we think we're choosing, but really in all reality, God's choosing everything for us and we're just kind of rolling down the train track that God uh, has put forward. So uh, we believe that we uh, make choices. And really, uh, the, the basic part of that is when you make choices, you're held accountable for that choice. And there's either a reward or a punishment, right? That I mean, that's as simple as you can get. That's judgment right there. That's accountability and everything else. Uh, being a good steward, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I believe that that's just not something we've come up with. But uh, there's many spots in the Bible where it talks about making choices. Uh, all the way from Genesis chapter 3, they made a choice uh, to go against God. Joshua 24, 15, choose you this day whom you will serve. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 34, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then uh, I've heard this preached recently, Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God's not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall reap of the flesh, or of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And this is just a few examples right here. This is just a few that I've pulled out that I believe that the Bible teaches we decide whether we're going to serve the Lord or not. If you're a Christian person, you decide whether you're going to do the Lord's will or not. And we've got examples of people doing it and we've got examples and walking by faith and we've got examples of Lot where uh, I don't think God's plan for Lot's life was to waste his entire life. He didn't do what the Lord wanted him to do. So we have a choice and if that we have that choice, we have the responsibility. That's what Galatians is talking about. You sow to the spirit, uh, you will reap of those things uh, versus sowing to the flesh. But look back at verse 28. He's saying, Cyrus shall perform all my pleasure. God is saying he is going to do everything that I want him to do. And see, here's the problem, right? 
you're thinking, uh-oh. Well, you just said, Mike, that, uh, that all those verses, just you took a handful of them that talked about we have a choice. Now it's talking about God's will is going to be done because here's the other thing. God's sovereign. He's in control. He's in charge. Ephesians 1.11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. All things, right? Everything that the Lord, his will will be done. Uh, Job 42.2, this is at the very end of Job. I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. And again, I just picked up a couple examples of that, that God's sovereign, he's in control, his will will be done. Uh, So then here's the thing, wouldn't you say, well, Mike, there's a contradiction right there, right? How on earth can man have free will, but then God's in control? You just said that uh, whatever choice we make, uh, uh, you know, we, we're going to be held accountable for that. But then God's saying, everything I want done is going to get done. And see, here's what I see a lot. And you've heard this from me a lot with different things. Is that the easiest thing to do when you're coming up with a doctrine is to pick an extreme. Right? And that's what I've seen a lot. On one end, man is fully in control. You make all the decisions, and they'll say, well, because of that, God doesn't know the future, which you've heard me say I think is the most ridiculous thing ever. But they'll say, if I have a real choice, there's no way I could know uh, what choice that you're going to pick. Well, that works for me, but not for God. Right? I, I gave you the example of Brooke in the Mexican restaurant the other day. She always gets a number 26. We go to the Mexican restaurant later this week, uh, and she sits down. I'm going to guess that she's going to order that, but she can pick something else. But I'm not God. So they pick this extreme or the other extreme that man has no choice. I'm sure you've heard this too. God's will will be done, which, yes, I agree, but they'll say, Mike, Your choice, you think you're choosing, God's chosen everything for you, and he's wired you a certain way so that you will make every choice he wants you to make, and you're not really making it. That's a robot. That's what that is. And here's my problem. I read to you three verses over here, and I read to you two or three over here, and they're all true. Right? They're all true. I'm sorry. Not really. But the doctrine's not that simple that you can pick one extreme or another. And I've seen this many times in the Bible. They're both right. They're both right. Men has free will and God's in control. They're both right. Amen? Because there's no contradictions in the Bible. And that you can't ignore the verses you don't like. I've told many this, and this, uh, you know, the ones on the other side, it's funny, uh, of some of these different issues, uh, they will totally ignore those, and I've told them, I don't ignore your verses. Why are you ignoring mine? Look at them all. Look at the whole Bible. Challenge yourself. There's got to be a balance between the free will of men and the sovereignty of God, and here's the thing. This may shock you. I can't explain it. I can't, right? Here's the thing. God can, because the hardest part is, as soon as you start digging into it, you have to take away time. And every time we take away time, men get confused. But here's the thing. Human logic, this is what's gotten us into the problem of one end or the other. 
is we start to use way too much human logic in this and use less of the Bible and try to, uh, you know, rationalize it out, logic it out and everything else. But here's the thing. The Bible says both are true. So whether we can fully, and this goes for any doctrine, by the way, whether we can fully understand it or fully explain it doesn't matter. You know what matters? Do I fully believe it? Right? That's faith. I don't always understand how everything can go together in the Bible. Because that Bible's a lot bigger than I am. And the more I get into it, the re- how much I realize how little I know about God. Amen? Is he bigger than you? Because if he's not bigger than you, that's a problem. You want a God that'll take you to heaven? We can't get there on our own. He's got to be bigger than us. His word is eternal. We can't write anything like this. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit helping us, but we've got to get to the point where we realize that, hey, this is a big God. You realize the ones that had it all figured out were the Pharisees. (laughs) You know who else had it figured out? Peter, right? Before the resurrection, the disciples, and then when all these things happened and Jesus rose from the dead and everyone's confused. I think that's us sometimes too. We just don't know it yet. But anyway, it's all together. Let's keep going with Cyrus. Uh, Verse two, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut and sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by name, am the God of Israel. God promised Cyrus, he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you military victories. I'm going to set you up as king. Verse three, I'm going to give you great great treasures historians have uh you can go and look at historians uh outside of the bible and they will tell you that when he conquered some of these places he uh, one of them i found thirty-four thousand pounds of gold i don't even know that's a lot of gold i don't know what that's worth but it's a lot but here's the thing he didn't just do that god didn't just do that to make him rich and powerful he had a purpose for that and that's what he was telling us he's saying hey uh, i want the people to know that i'm the lord right that's what he said that thou mayest know that i the lord which call thee uh, uh, by thy name am the god of israel and you realize i think that's the same thing is true for you and i The blessings that we have that are given from God are not so people look at us and are amazed. They're amazed at our God who gave it to us. Amen? When they look at us and they realize that uh, Mike should have only made it this far. He should have only been able to do this and that and should never be able to do what he's doing today. That If somebody really sees that, praise God because they're seeing that something greater than me is helping me. And that's God. If you go to the book of Ezra, this is when it actually happens. About 150, 180 years later, after the prophecy, Ezra, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing saying so the lord stirred up his heart in the first year of his reign so as soon as he conquered babylon as soon as he established that kingdom uh the lord stirred him up remember he had military blessings he had riches he had everything else before he knew the lord 
before he even knew the Lord. But here's the thing. We don't have the details. We don't know exactly uh, what happened. But uh, can you just imagine for a second the same Daniel that talked about the handwriting on the wall that he pulls up. I don't have a scroll, but he pulls up the scroll and he says, I want you to read. I want to read something to you that's about 150 years old that says his name. Right. Isaiah 44 and 45 says Cyrus twice before he was born, before he was given a name. He's a Gentile king of Persia, had no knowledge of the Lord because the Lord stirred him up after that happened and said, why don't you read this? Can you imagine? My goodness. So it doesn't give us details, but back to 45. Verse 4, for Jacob my servant's sake and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by name. I have surnamed thee that thou hast not known me. I the Lord am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee though thou hast not known me uh, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Uh, he, Daniel, I'm sure uh, spoke this to him and it, the Lord stirred up his heart and he started to realize that all the victories, all the riches, it started to make sense that this is what happened Uh, and to me uh, I kind of see the same miracle as when a sinner hears the gospel the Holy Spirit touches their heart and they realize that Jesus is real he's not just a a good teacher or a a fairy tale or some made-up story but he's the Savior and then they realize they're a sinner and call on his name and I it almost feels like a similar thing with his heart being touched But then you have to ask yourself a question. This king, the powerful, he's the most powerful man in the world at this time. He's got to admit by believing in the Lord and trusting in the Lord with what he's heard that I didn't do this on my own. How many kings and leaders of just countries would admit that I didn't get here on my own? It was the Lord that got me here. I don't know about you. I haven't heard that in a long time. I don't know if I've ever heard it, but he did. Can you imagine a politician today getting up in front of the camera and saying that? They'd probably cut the feet off, right? Cyrus could have dismissed the prophecy. He could have dismissed it and said, well, you know, just like every excuse that people use today about the Bible. Oh, well, you say it's 150 years old. Someone must have messed it up like the originals are true, but this isn't true, you know. Or I, you, maybe you just wrote that uh, a few days ago and made it look old or anything else. Or, or don't try to tell me this wasn't me and my strategy and my skill and everything else. But here's the thing, uh, people don't believe, yet every prophecy has been fulfilled uh, in this type of a manner about Jesus Christ, yet they refuse to believe the same thing, because it takes faith. But here's the thing, if that prophecy was written afterward, Cyrus could have easily believed it because it wouldn't have taken faith, but that's not what happened. Back to Ezra, sorry for jumping around, but Ezra verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 2, thus, here's his proclamation, thus saith Cyrus king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah. Cyrus was not forced. I don't believe he was forced. I'm not seeing that. 
He acknowledges who the Lord is. He said, the Lord's charged me, the Lord's commanded me to do this, and I'm going to be obedient to have a house built for him in Jerusalem. And I don't read, when you read the way he's saying this, it doesn't sound like he's being forced. It sounds like he's heard the word of the Lord, he believed it, he's put his faith in it, and he's being obedient. Look at the next verses, three. Who is there among you of all his people, his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build a house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem, and whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the man of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts, besides the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. He is not only... See, all God said was you are to rebuild the house. So all he would have had to do is say, go rebuild it. But he's not saying it that way in verse 3. He is encouraging them, challenging them, right? Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go to Jerusalem. That's what he's saying. Who's willing to obey God? I'm obeying God. Are you willing to obey God? They had just gone through captivity and with Babylon. And Babylonian captivity was much different than this. Remember, what were the Babylonians trying to do? They were trying to make the Jews Babylonians, right? And turn to Daniel chapter 1. What were they trying to do? Trying to get them to eat differently, talk differently, learn the sciences and everything else. Same thing a lot of our colleges are trying to do, right? Get them to uh, talk different, learn different, and everything else, and science and everything. What did Daniel and them say? We're not going to do it, right? We're not even going to eat of what the king is eating. We're going to eat differently. They took a stand. Cyrus was different. He did not make them change. He said, you can live for your God. But really what your God wants you to do is not to stay here in Babylon. He wants you to go back and rebuild. That doesn't sound like a man forced to me. That sounds like a man that finally realized that he got where he got because of God. And because of God's word and a touch of his heart. Because I'm faithful to the Lord's will today. He gave me this kingdom. He gave me this opportunity so I could play a small part in God's big plan. And I think this is the trick. Remember what I said before. It's hard to reconcile men's free will with God's sovereignty. But one way that does make it easy with Cyrus is we're saying Cyrus had the free will to choose what he was going to do. I believe that. But God also said he's going to do my will. So if we take time out of it, because we're talking about God, God could have chosen Cyrus because he knew Cyrus was going to do what God wanted him to do, freely. Right? Then it makes you wonder, is the position we're in today, with some of us that God's blessed us with different things, I bet it's the same thing. God has put us here today because he knows we were going to be faithful. But that also tells me the opposite. He is not going to give special opportunities to be wasted to someone he knows that's going to freely choose to disobey. So some of the people that are so frustrated 
It's because God already knew they were going to disobey. So he's not giving them the kingdom. He's not giving them a high responsibility when he knows they're just going to throw it away. That's hard because you've got to take time out, right? Because that's easy for God. It's hard for us, right? Our faithfulness of today to a God that knows the future means he will get us into the right place where we can trust him, we can serve him, and we can watch him work through us. And I believe Cyrus shows that. Just one example of many. And I believe if we look at our life, it's the same way. God is outside of time. He's outside of men's logic. And for him, it's not hard to give us free will and have his will done at the same time. I don't believe we have to force ourselves one way or another. I believe we can trust that every verse is true. Now, do I have it all figured out? No, far from it. But I'm here to tell you one thing. You know what God wants? He wanted Cyrus to be faithful and obedient. He wants us to be faithful and obedient. Wherever he's placed us, whatever he's called us with, we may not have an 150-year-old prophecy with our name on it in this Bible, but I'll tell you what, we've got plenty in this Bible that are telling us what we need to be doing and what we should be doing and what God's going to do in return. We serve a faithful God. I'm going to open up the altar tonight.